Matthew 5, 1 through 12. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the poor and pure in spirit, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are still looking for love in all the wrong places. We began discussing last week that Jesus opens the Sermon on the Mount by telling us in the words of the old Waylon Jennings song that we're looking for love in all the wrong places. There are things that this world tells us that will fulfill us. There are things that this world prizes and says are important. There are things that this culture tells us are essential. There are things that this society tells us are going to bring us happiness. And Jesus opens Matthew chapter 5 in the Sermon on the Mount by telling us that we have been looking for love and purpose and fulfillment in all of the wrong places. Instead, Jesus is inviting us in the Beatitudes, as we started talking about last week, He's inviting us to a different way of looking at the world. He's inviting us to a new worldview. Because as we noted last week, these eight statements are not directives as much as their perspective. You know, these are not commands or tips for living or self-help advice. These are postures more than their practicalities. This is about worldview that we are to adopt rather than work that we are to do. These statements Jesus gave us to reframe everything. These are the lenses through which the kingdom citizen looks at life and looks at this world. What does the follower of Jesus Christ say is the good life? What does the follower of Jesus Christ say that it means to live the blessed life? And as we saw last week when we began to examine the Beatitudes, these statements divide neatly into two sets of four. And last week we looked at the first four Beatitudes, and this week we're going to look at the second set of four Beatitudes. And the first set of four Beatitudes, as we saw last week, it it reorients our relationship to God. The first four Beatitudes reorient our relationship to God. The poor in spirit confess their need. We mourn over that brokenness. We meekly submit to Him, confessing that our power cannot save ourselves. And as such, rather than trying to fill ourselves, rather than trying to save save ourselves, we hunger and thirst after His righteousness 
and we're satisfied. And friends, we're satisfied because as we discussed last week, our righteousness is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is our righteousness. Through faith in Christ, the hungry and thirsty are satisfied. Through Jesus Christ, we're given a new life as citizens of the kingdom of heaven. But friends, Christ has come not only to change our relationship with Him. He's come to change our relationship with one another. He's come to change not only our perspective on ourselves and our relationship to Him, but our perspective on other people and the way we relate to them. So if the first four Beatitudes are about our relationship to God, we find that the second set of four Beatitudes talks a lot about our relationship with other people. The first four Beatitudes are largely about inner attitudes, whereas the last four Beatitudes are are the manifestation of those attitudes. The first four Beatitudes are like the root that goes down deep into God. And the next four Beatitudes are like the fruit that that spreads out and goes wide to other people. And the first of of these last four Beatitudes is found in verse 7. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Now, this beatitude is the only reflexive beatitude. This is the only beatitude where what you give is what you get. And honestly, I mean, it really seems like the least creative of the beatitudes. Like Jesus kind of got halfway through and ran out of ideas. You know, blessed are the merciful because they'll receive mercy. But Jesus didn't run out of ideas. Friends, Jesus was teaching a profound, profound truth. That mercy is powerful in a merciless world. Mercy is powerful in a merciless world. A friend of mine is a songwriter, and he wrote a song titled Justice. The first line of his song declares, Everyone wants to see some justice for another man's crime. I mean, we say we want to see justice. In fact, we we kind of, when we're honest, we revel a little bit when we see somebody get what we think they deserve. We want to see justice for another person's crime. The problem is, what happens with our own crimes? The, The song goes on. Everyone wants to see some justice for another man's crime. No sins can ever go unpunished. Unless it comes down to yours and mine. Friends, we want to see justice for another person's crime. But when it comes to our crimes, what do we want? We want mercy. We want mercy. Friends, if justice is what we get, is when we get what we deserve, mercy is when we don't get what we deserve. And the truth is, friends, if every one of us just got what we deserved, we would be in bad shape. What we need is not justice. Friends, we all need mercy. What we need is not what we deserve. What we need is what we don't deserve. But friends, this is a merciless world. The Romans of Jesus' day, they glorified justice and courage and discipline and power, and they looked down on mercy. In fact, one of the philosophers that lived in Jesus' time, he called mercy a disease of the soul, a sign of weakness. And even today, friends, this world is not about mercy. This world is all about what you have earned and what you deserve. 
Even our commercials drive us from mercy. You deserve a break today. You deserve the best. You've earned it. This world is constantly pulling us away from mercy and towards deserving. And friends, it becomes a problem. It becomes a problem because we know that at least occasionally we fall short of earning, don't we? We know that at least occasionally we do wrong, deserving not reward but justice. And so what do we do? We become masters of self-justification, of rationalization, of deception, and we cover up those shortcomings. Friends, we are part of a culture that is desperately trying to prove it's deserving. But friends, what we need is not what we deserve. What we need is mercy. In fact, maybe you've come here this morning or you've You've joined us online and you hear those voices taunting you. Go, prove yourself. Prove that you're worth something. Earn your way. Make yourself deserving. And maybe you showed up here today exhausted from striving. You're tired of hiding. You're fresh out of excuses and self-justifications. Maybe you've come here today desperately not desiring what you deserve, but praying for what you don't deserve, for mercy, unearned, unmerited, undeserved love, favor, and acceptance. Friends, the first four Beatitudes lead us to the truth that what we all need is not justice. We need mercy. We need mercy that we cannot earn and do not deserve. Friends, the gospel, the good news, is that mercy is what Christ has come to give us. Our sins, they are many. His mercy is more. You do not measure up, but His mercy is more. You cannot earn, but His mercy is more. You do not deserve, but His mercy is more. You have fallen short, but His mercy is more. And friends, if you are here today, or if you're watching online, and you are tired of striving, you're weary of hiding, you're exhausted of justifying, then hear the invitation. Hear the invitation of Christ to those that are poor in spirit. Come and receive His mercy. And friends, that mercy, that mercy will not only change your relationship to God and to yourself, that mercy is going to change the way you relate to other people. Because friends, those who know that they have need and have received mercy, they become mercy-filled or merciful. Merciful people don't look on others and go, how could you do that? Why, why are you like that? Merciful people don't look on others and go, oh, those type of people, you know, who commit that type of sin, they're disgusting. Friends, the merciful person understands. They go, I am you. I'm also desperately in need of mercy. And I've also freely received, and so I will freely give. Pastor John Stott summarized, to be meek is to acknowledge to others that we are sinners. To be merciful is to have compassion on others, for they are sinners too. To be meek is to admit that we are sinners. To be merciful is to have compassion, for they are sinners too. The merciful person has compassion and understanding because they're a sinner and you're a sinner 
just like me. We all equally come as beggars in need of food. We're all equally lost in need of finding. We are all sinners in need of mercy. And the merciful are those who recognize that they themselves are in need and have received mercy. And so they become merciful. So friends, what do we make of the reflexive nature of this beatitude? Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Friends, read the Gospels. There's only one group of people that Jesus had no mercy on. There's one group of people that Jesus had no mercy on. The unmerciful. The only group of people that Jesus had no mercy on were the unmerciful. Because blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. For they understand that they have received, and they too give. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. And Jesus goes on in verse 8, he says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Friends, it's easy to miss something that you're not looking for. You know, you probably had this experience as well, but a couple of years ago, my family, we bought a brand new to us 2010 Toyota Sienna minivan. You know, because that's how I roll, minivan life. And so as we drove away from where we purchased the minivan, I started to look around. I'm like, oh my gosh, there's another one. Hey, there's another Toyota Sienna. Oh, there's another one. And they were everywhere. Now, friends, did all of a sudden... When I purchased it, did all of a sudden all kinds of Toyota Sienna minivans appear on the road? Well, no. They'd always been there, but I wasn't looking for them. And so I never noticed them. Because, friends, it's easy to miss that which you're not looking for. And blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Now, the word heart appears well over 550 times in the Scripture. And friends, the Bible doesn't use heart the way that we use heart. It's not primarily about emotion. The heart is actually the center of your being. In fact, the book of Proverbs summarizes well. Proverbs 4.23, Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. So biblically, heart is the center of you. Everything flows from your heart. It's the center of your person. It's the source of your actions. Your heart is you. So when Jesus says, blessed are the poor in heart, he's not talking about how you feel. He's talking about who you are. Jesus says the pure in heart will see God. And the Greek word for pure is katharos, which is where we get our word catharsis. A catharsis is a cleansing or a purging. So the pure in heart is one whose heart is purged and cleansed of everything that doesn't belong. So that one thing remains. Friends, pure gold is gold with nothing else in it. Pure water is water with nothing else in it. The marriage is to be pure for you are to have only one love. Purity is singleness. It's single-mindedness. In fact, the opposite of purity would be duplicity or multiplicity. Purity of heart is to seek 
one thing. It's to desire one thing. It's to love one thing. It's to look for one thing. Friends, another word for this would be holiness. Holiness is about purity. It's about exclusivity. It's about singularity. It's about being set apart for, focused on one thing and one thing only. In fact, our word holy, H-O-L-Y, is related in its root to holy, W-H-O-L-L-Y. Because to be holy is to be holy, W-H-O-L-L-Y, purely set apart for one thing. Set apart for one purpose, focused on one thing, committed to one thing. Blessed are those whose hearts are purely focused on Him, because you will find what your heart is looking for. And our problem is, friends, that we're looking for love in all kinds of wrong places. Friends, where are you seeking? And what are you seeking? Because blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. He goes on in verse 9, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. The 45 caliber Colt single action army has long been considered the gun that won the West. And this model 1837 revolver was commonly known as the Peacemaker. The Peacemaker was the most popular full-size revolver of the late 1800s. And when Jesus said, blessed are the Peacemakers, I don't believe this is what he meant. However, many of Jesus' Jewish listeners would have actually liked that type of peacemaker because many of the Jews were looking for a military messiah. One who was going to come with power and overthrow the Roman Empire and establish an earthly kingdom. But instead, Jesus comes along and says, Blessed are the peacemakers. Now, the Hebrew word for peace is shalom. Shalom is defined in Strong's Concordance using many different words. Completeness, wholeness, health, peace, welfare, perfectness, fullness, rest. And friends, just from those words, we can figure out that whatever shalom is, it implies that something's broken. If shalom is about wholeness and health and peace and welfare, then the opposite of shalom is brokenness. And friends, every major religion and philosophy in this world recognizes and tries to remedy the brokenness that we find in this world and in ourselves. Most of our great works of literature explore the imperfect, flawed, broken nature of this world and us as people. We have a vast array of products and advertisers and manufacturers that are offering to bring us a solution to our brokenness, or at least distract us from the painful brokenness of our hearts and our bodies and our relationships in this world. Friends, we are broken, and we need shalom. We need wholeness and healing and peace. And church, our most fundamental brokenness, our most fundamental brokenness is our broken relationship with God. 
because of this most fundamental brokenness, friends, all of our other relationships inevitably break. Because this relationship with God is broken, our relationship to ourselves breaks. Our relationship to one another breaks. Our relationship to this creation breaks. Friends, those who've journeyed through the previous Beatitudes, recognizing and mourning over the poverty of their spirit and recognizing their brokenness, they're going to call out for a peacemaker. I need shalom. I need wholeness. I need healing. And the gospel, the good news, is that God is a peacemaker. God is a peacemaker. He is called the God of peace many times throughout the Scriptures. Jesus is called the Prince of Peace. And God brought us true peace and shalom in Jesus Christ. Friends, it's as we sing every Christmas, Hark the herald angels sing, Glory to the newborn King. Peace on earth and mercy mild. God and sinners reconciled. In Jesus Christ, God has reconciled us, taking that which was broken and restoring it, bringing wholeness, shalom. It is as the Apostle Paul celebrated in Colossians chapter 1, verses 19 and 20. For in Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through Him, to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of His cross. Friends, God is restoring shalom. He is a peacemaker. He is reconciling and bringing peace by the blood of Jesus' cross. And church, God has reconciled us. He's reconciled you and me, not merely for privilege, but for service. We who have had peace made for us are now to become peacemakers. We who have been reconciled are now to continue that ministry of reconciliation. And that's what the Apostle Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He says, All of this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to Himself and then gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to Himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God's making His appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ. Be reconciled to God. We are to be peacemakers. He's given to us the ministry of reconciliation. Friends, this is why In our CSBC covenant, which we read together just last week, it says, We commit ourselves to the making of disciples who are ever growing in their identity in Christ, their investment in His church, and their involvement in God's mission of reconciliation. Because God is reconciling this world to Himself through the blood of the cross. And He's given to us the ministry of reconciliation. Through the message of the Gospel which Christ has sent us to proclaim, He is making peace and reconciling men, women, and children to Himself. And such blessed are the peacemakers. 
for they shall be called sons and daughters of God. Children of God are about their father's business. And church, are you about your father's business? God is making His appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. And friends, the final beatitude is the only one that comes with some additional commentary. And we'll talk about that commentary shortly. But the beatitude itself is in verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, first of all, as we already noted, the Beatitudes come full circle. The first one, blessed, the first one is about the kingdom of heaven. The poor in spirit receive the kingdom of heaven. And the last one, those persecuted receive the kingdom of heaven. So the kingdom of heaven brackets all eight of the Beatitudes. And friends, the phrase the kingdom of heaven is used 31 times in Matthew's Gospel. Now, last Wednesday night, at our time of study and prayer, which we would love to have you join us at, uh, we were reading through these Beatitudes and discussing them and seeking to apply them and understand them. And one of the questions that I was asked as we were discussing them is, what exactly is the kingdom of heaven? What exactly is the kingdom of heaven? And, you know, I'm tricky because I told them I wasn't going to answer them then. They had to come here this morning. To hear it, so guaranteed that they were going to come back. But friends, this is an important question. What is the kingdom of heaven? Because both John the Baptist and Jesus' messages were summarized with a call to repent. Why? Because the kingdom of heaven is near. The kingdom of heaven is near. And friends, if the kingdom is near, then whatever it is, it's not just a promise for tomorrow. It's a reality today. In fact, we will hear Jesus tell his followers in Matthew chapter 11, verse 12, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing. So friends, whatever the kingdom of heaven is, it is here, it is near, and it's advancing. So what is the kingdom of heaven? Well, as we always say, When you have a phrase or a word that's unfamiliar, context is king. Context is king. So start by looking for other uses of that word or phrase in the section or the chapter or the book that you're studying to see if there are other uses of it that will help you understand what that word itself is. And in the Sermon on the Mount, we hear Jesus repeatedly teach us about the kingdom of heaven. And in fact, there are two key passages that are in the next chapter, Matthew chapter 6, that I think give us a clue as to the kingdom of heaven. And in fact, one of them, you just prayed. Dan led us in what is traditionally known as the Lord's Prayer. And friends, in that prayer, in Matthew 6, 9, and 10, we were taught, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. So your kingdom come is parallel to your will be done. Now friends, remember, kingdom, a kingdom is not about castles and lands ultimately. A kingdom is the realm 
and the rule of a king. The kingdom is the realm and the rule of a king. So the kingdom is the realm where Jesus reigns, where his will is done on earth as it is in heaven. And a similar idea comes just a few verses later in Matthew 6:33, where Jesus teaches us, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So here the kingdom of God is parallel to his righteousness. So again, the kingdom is the realm where the righteous will of God is being done on earth as it is in heaven. So disciples of King Jesus are those who submit to his righteous reign and those who do his will on earth as it is in heaven. Those who seek first and who hunger and thirst after his righteousness. Friends, the kingdom of heaven is wherever hearts and lives submit to the reign of King Jesus. So that means his kingdom is here. It's not yet here in its fullness. When Jesus returns, his kingdom will come in its fullness and completeness. However, as Jesus taught, the kingdom is near and it's advancing. It's advancing as more and more blessed peacemakers go forth and they declare the gospel. I implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Submit yourself to the reign of King Jesus who has come to save us. And friends, as we've noted here again in the eighth beatitude, we find as we did in the fourth beatitude a reference to God's righteousness. Church, blessed will be the persecuted, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And the blessed will be persecuted for the righteousness, it says, for which they hungered and thirsted in the fourth beatitude. Hunger and thirst after righteousness, but know that when you're satisfied and you receive it, you'll be persecuted for it. And as we saw last week, friends, Christ is our righteousness. He is our righteousness. And Jesus makes this clear when he says that we're going to be persecuted for righteousness in verse 10. And then he elaborates in verse 11 and says, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Jesus says, I am the righteousness for which you will be reviled and persecuted. I am the righteousness for which you will be reviled and persecuted. Jesus is saying, blessed are you when you're persecuted because of your association with me. Blessed are those who've submitted to my reign, who've entered my kingdom and now suffer because of it. Friends, the world will never love the true Jesus. This world will never love the true Jesus. And in order to avoid persecution or avoid being reviled, many have tried to water Jesus down or make him relevant. He gets us. Or or make him less offensive so that we could try to follow him without persecution. And inevitably, church, what you end up with is another gospel when you do that. Friends, if you have a Jesus that the whole world applauds, and that is accepted by many, and that offends no one, a Jesus that nobody wants to persecute, then that's not the Jesus we meet in the Bible. Friends, the true Jesus is not relevant. He's revolutionary. Jesus didn't come to affirm this world. He came to transform this world. Because, friends, we are looking for love in all the wrong places. We are valuing all the wrong things. We're looking at things all wrong. So Jesus came to point out our folly and tell us the truth. But this world can't handle the truth. 
And as such, Jesus says, those disciples who live as citizens of the kingdom, you should expect persecution. Jesus says this many times and many ways throughout his ministry. So why are we so surprised when it happens? Friends, if you want everybody to like you, don't follow Jesus. Go sell ice cream. Everybody loves the ice cream guy. But if you're going to follow Jesus, blessed are the persecuted, those who are persecuted for righteousness, those who are reviled for my name's sake. You might be sitting there thinking, Adam, but that doesn't make any sense. Because who would ever want to persecute a person who embodies these eight Beatitudes. I mean, they seem, they seem pretty good, don't they? So why would the person who lives this, who, who looks at the world this way, who approaches others in this way, why would they be persecuted? Friends, consider the poor in spirit. The poor in spirit, he offends me because the world values the rich and powerful, but the humility of the poor in spirit makes me aware of my own pride as I look at the life and the attitude of the poor in spirit. The one who mourns is such a downer. I mean, she ruins my happy-go-lucky lifestyle. You know, her mourning makes me aware that there's a right and a wrong and that I too should probably weep over the wrong things I've done. And the meek, there's no place in this world for meek. Where in this world, might makes right. And the gentleness of the meek makes me question my own hunger for power and control. And manipulation. And those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, well, they make me angry because their hunger and their filling exposes my own perverted hungers and the utter emptiness of that with which I'm trying to fill myself. The merciful, they aggravate me because that infuriating mercy exposes my own self-righteousness and superiority and tendency to judge others. The pure in heart, I can't stand her because her ways expose the impurity of my own heart and my motivations. And the peacemakers, well, those people refuse to play the game. They don't advance themselves. In fact, they're living for something greater than themselves, and it makes my own self-pursuit and self-promotion seem really shallow. Church, there's plenty of reasons why a true citizen of the kingdom of heaven who embodies the characteristics of the Beatitudes would be persecuted because truth exposes the lie. Truth exposes the lie and the lie doesn't want to be exposed. Jesus' Beatitudes expose the Beatitudes of this world and show them to be empty and unsatisfying. Jesus' Beatitudes expose this world that we're looking for love in all the wrong places and the world just can't handle the truth. Now, church, blessed are the persecuted doesn't mean that we should go out looking for trouble. But Jesus does say if we're faithfully following Him, we don't need to look for it because trouble will find us. But friends, when it does, verse 12, rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Rejoice. Friends, rejoice and be glad. Don't draw back. Don't reconsider. Don't water down. Don't compromise. Don't be silent. Rejoice and be glad because you're living the good life. You're living the blessed life. Hashtag blessed. Friends, the world view of the kingdom turns everything upside down. 
The truth exposes the lie. It challenges everything that this world has taught us to value. And it invites us to the one place and the one person where we will find what we need. And that is Jesus Christ. Friends, the blessed life is found in Christ. He is our righteousness. The blessed life is to live as part of His kingdom. The blessed life is not to receive the applause, but the persecution of the world as we expose by our living the lie of this world. Church, it is, as we sang this morning, mine are days here as a stranger, pilgrim on a narrow way. One with Christ I will encounter. Harm and hatred for His name. However, mine are keys to Zion City where beside the King I walk. For there my heart has found its treasure. Christ, Christ is mine forevermore. Friends, the Beatitudes invite us to ask, where am I looking for love? And they invite us to receive Christ as our treasure now and forevermore. Friends, where is your treasure? Let's pray. Father, Take our wayward hearts and bring them to You. Forgive us for looking for love in all the wrong places. And bring our hearts to the place, to the person, where we might find all that we need. And that is in You. And Father, help us to live. To live as citizens of Your kingdom. To live as citizens of heaven to be blessed peacemakers and to bring glory to Jesus Christ who is our righteousness in whose name we pray. Amen.